Kyle, I'm going to start this off with a proclamation. I got to go back on something I said literally last week. I said in 2016, I made the turn of changing my pick of greatest of all time quarterback. But then I finally saw the Joe Montana documentary over the last two days. And I'm switching back, man. I cannot be denied that Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback of all time after seeing this documentary. Of course, this is also before I saw Man in the Arena. So a lot of things can change beforehand. But I will say it's definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a Google to check out the Joe Montana documentary. In particular, a lot of fun facts that I learned watching this documentary. Um, my first one here is, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? I have listened to a couple of their songs in the past. I know that they were a band in the 80s, and I know that they have the song at the beginning of Back to the Future, but that's about all I know about them. You are correct. That was on their 87 album, Four, which is their most accomplished album. I think their Undisputed Masterpiece, Hip to Be Square, a song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures, informity, and the importance of trends. It's also because Joe Montana and the 49ers did background lyrics, and it's one of the most amazing fun facts of learning about Joe Montana and all the crazy stuff in his life. You realize he almost quit football to play on the Notre Dame basketball team because he was the third stringer his junior year, his redshirt junior year. We're talking about Joe Montana. I also kind of want to throw out there, could you imagine in today's context having a Joe Montana, Steve Young type controversy? That was one that I was like, man, I wish I had Twitter back then. I wish I had Twitter to kind of understand this because we think about all the quarterback controversies we had. We think about just even Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance this past year, or Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre in the 2000s. They had a Hall of Fame quarterback waiting on their bench for almost six, seven years. And also, fun fact, Tom Brady was in this Joe Montana documentary. And that leads me into our first real headline of the day. The Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Uh, popular Boston radio host floated the idea that Tom Brady to San Francisco may still be in play. And uh, Tom Brady, of course, also on his podcast said, well, you know, anything can happen. How will I feel a few months from now? How will I feel a week from now? How will I feel at dinner with Giselle? Maybe I want to go to San Francisco right now. Maybe I'm booking the ticket. Hey, how's it going, John Lynch? How's it going, Kyle Shanahan? Age 45, year 23? What do you yeah, think of this yeah, popular no. rumor? Uh, is, is he bringing Gronk with him? I would say that's probably likely. So could you imagine a tight end room of George Kittle and Rob Gronkowski? Uh, is he bringing Antonio Brown with him? I would say not bloody likely. Is he bringing Chris Godwin with him? That's a possibility. That's a, that's a strong possibility, I would say, because obviously Chris Godwin, free agent, coming off his ACL injury. And the Niners are expected to be one of the most active teams in the free agent wide receiver market. That's yeah, that's, that was the point there, is that he is, he is available coming off of an ACL injury, and the Niners potentially can make up to $50 million in cap space by moving Jimmy Garoppolo and his non-guaranteed contract. I mean, if we're just going to talk about what the 49ers should do this offseason, because Tampa, I, I'm surprised no one's talking about what the hell Tampa is going to do because I have no idea what Tampa is going to do at the quarterback position just Kyle no clue Trask SZN oh wow you are disrespecting Super Bowl champion Blaine Gabbert I can't believe that we're doing this right now that's it's a young man's game it's Kyle Trask time to shine Blaine Gabbert's the same age as Cam Newton. That's kind of incredible that we're calling this old man game at this point. Meanwhile, um, Cam Newton looks like he's about 50. Cam Newton looks like he's in pain every time he throws. It's They destroyed his body. It's why Buffalo won't let Josh Allen run the ball in the regular season. Fun fact. Uh, back to the 49ers. The 49ers have so many options. And I'm looking around. I'm like, 
did you just jump the gun on Trey Lance? The whole point of getting Trey Lance in the first place was that they have six really great players who were all on rookie contracts during the 2019 and a lot of them for this year, but during the 2019 run, they were all on rookie contracts. Now they decided to re-sign all of them. Like they hit on so many great picks, um, whether it be Kittle, uh, whether it be Bosa, which is obviously number two in the draft. So he was more generational guy, Fred Warner, Trent Williams trade and him being the best left tackle in the NFL. You could throw Debo in the mix. He obviously hasn't hit an extension window yet. A Rick Armstead, like they have so many guys that they wanted to extend that the point of not just getting Trey Lance was you can get a quarterback as good, if not better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but also on a rookie contract, which is the great hack of the sport. As we see Joe Burrow playing in the Super Bowl while he only makes 7 million a year and Kyler Murray only makes 7 million a year as he negotiates a deal with the Cardinals. I just don't know why the 49ers would want to do it unless they just don't want Trey Lance anymore. Like, I mean, I would have started Trey Lance in week one if I were the 49ers this year. I still think if they had played Trey Lance in the playoffs, they'd be playing in the Super Bowl today. I've never seen Trey Lance play, but I have seen Jimmy Garoppolo play before. And I know what Jimmy Garoppolo can bring you, which is not what the 49ers traded three first round picks to get Trey Lance for. So I just don't get it from the 49ers point. If I'm Tom Brady, whatever, do whatever the hell you want. You can go be mercenary on a team that has six pro bowlers and six all pro players like 49ers are the best job to have. I just don't know why the 49ers would want that unless they just don't want Trey Lance. Well, the reason you'd want that is because you're in a win now window and you tried to capitalize on that win now window with Jimmy Garoppolo and you outed yourself a little saying that you haven't seen Trey Lance play. I did see Trey Lance play. I saw both games of Trey Lance play. He wasn't ready. And could you say would the Niners also be a 10 and 17 with Trey Lance? I don't think so. I think they're probably closer to a seven-win team if Trey Lance started out the gate. And that's not indictment on Trey Lance. That's just looking around the rookie class and how many of the other rookies were really succeeding. Oh, that one does. To me, that does sound like an indictment of Trey Lance. If he's three or four games worse than Jimmy Garoppolo this year, that means he's not suitable to start as a quarterback in the NFL. And that would be pretty damning if I were the 49ers. Because I'm comparing rookie Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been in the offense for five years and could do everything that Kyle's asking him. And yes, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have that big throw that you drafted Trey Lance for, but Jimmy Garoppolo has those three or four or five needed throws throughout the course of a game that win football games. That's the thing I think a lot of people miss when evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, he's not exactly making those big plays outside of the numbers that you would like, but he's making those plays that win you football games, that move the ball, that get you first downs, that get you conversions on third and seven. And those are very needed plays throughout the course of a game. Now, as far as for this year, again, you're trying to capitalize and win a Super Bowl. And you don't have to necessarily say we failed on Trey Lance by game Tom Brady. The fact of the matter is there's 31 other franchises that if Tom Brady comes a knocking, you answer the phone. They're probably 30, maybe Aaron Rodgers, Patrick uh, Mahomes. No, no, yeah. no. You, you I'd answer say the tw- phone. 26, if- 26. The Chargers are telling him to go pound sand if, if he gets the call. I'd say like 24, actually. There's eight teams that would turn him away. I don't think so. Anywhere that Aaron Rodgers has an opportunity to go because he's slightly younger and has more of a talented skill set than Brady. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, of course. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Yeah. Lamar Jackson. No. If I'm Baltimore, I'm picking up with Tom Brady. No, God, no. Oh, Hell my Lord. Yes. No. I am oh, picking. No. I'm picking the no. Tom Brady call. What has Lamar done at this point? Win an MVP in the last five years unanimously. <laughs> 
Tom Brady won a MVP in the last, what, six years now, 2016. Oh, but that, oh, I forgot that one. That one was a cop-out. It should have been Todd Gurley the year they gave it to him. You could make an argument that he was MVP this year. Yeah, I'd still go Lamar Jackson, no question. Uh, 5,300 passing yards, over 40 touchdowns. But that's what Jameis Winston did. Anyways, the point being there, I... I Jameis the, Winston also threw for 20 more interceptions. This is true, but that's why Tom Brady is significantly better than Jameis Winston, even at 44 years old, which doesn't make any sense. And um, Tom Brady is significantly better than Lamar Jackson right now at this point today. <laughs> No, no, I yes. will not entertain this possibility. I will not. I was going to throw Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Kyler Murray in the mix before I'd get to Tom Brady even still. And Lamar Jackson's better than all those guys. An opportunity to win a Super Bowl now is always going to be more valuable than an opportunity to win a Super Bowl later. Not when it's Lamar Jackson for the next 10 years. Not when it's Lamar Jackson for the next 10 years. Because Lamar Jackson's better right now than Tom Brady is, especially with the putrid offensive line the Baltimore Ravens have. We forget that it was only two years ago that Tom Brady had a worse passer rating than Mitchell Trubisky when the Patriots failed him and gave him no weapons. This is true. You talk about Baltimore, they do have weapons. They have options. They have people around there that go under the radar. You have Marquise Hollywood-Brown. You have Sammy Watkins still running around catching routes. Uh, Rashad Bateman, we'll see what he turns into. There there are some pieces to work with. Mark Andrews was a Pro Bowler this year who apparently I heard went very aggressively hard in the Pro Bowl. I didn't watch any of the Pro Bowl, but I heard he was like laying dudes out in the touch football game. Awful. Terrible game uh i hate that i kind of watched it but i was bored i thought i'd give yeah, it a try. i will never watch the pro bowl again as long as i so live we're getting uh, but, away from the point here yes tom brady if he says i want to go to san francisco you're kyle shannon you're john lynch you just have to take the call and if you're a team that was in the nfc championship just literally this season adding a 5,000 yard passer to the mix it's never a bad decision is that all going to translate over is tom brady going to Instantly hit the cliff. That's the questions that will linger because we all see the cliff. We all see that it could just happen in an instant. You could just become Peyton Manning his 2015 season. But I, I just don't see it. Like, what's the lowest possible upside you could get from Tom Brady next season saying that he plays all 17 games? Uh, 4,000 yards again? Better than Jimmy Garoppolo. But he's also chosen to walk away at the same time. And if you're better than Jimmy Garoppolo, that's probably a Super Bowl and probably a Super Bowl win with last year's iteration of the Niners team. I also argue that Trey Lance could have done the same thing, possibly. If the 49ers are out on Trey Lance, then I understand the game there. They don't have to be out on Trey Lance. But then why would you go get Tom Brady if you believe Trey Lance is worth giving up three first round picks? Because there's a track record for quarterbacks waiting multiple years. We were just talking about Steve Young sitting on the bench for seven years behind Montana. You have an opportunity to get Tom Brady. Trey Lance can wait if the opportunity presents itself. If Trey Lance is as good as they hope he's going to be, which I have no idea if he's going to be that guy. They just think he's going to be that guy. There's no reason to delay it because he's already on the rookie contract. Like it's better to find out what you have than keep delaying the process. Like imagine if we came into this year and uh, say, I don't know, the Dolphins had another quarterback in waiting or say the Brian Flores meeting on a boat that he presumably walked away from with Tom Brady happens and say Tom Brady was the quarterback of the Dolphins the last two years. If we were starting right now with Tua 
He'd never started a game in his NFL career. That would not necessarily be ideal for the Dolphins. I don't know how good Tua is actually going to be. I know Tua is not going to be Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. At this point, I feel almost confident that's that's going to be the case. And that only comes from having watched him play 20 or so games. Even Trevor Lawrence and rookies this year who weren't very good. And that includes Mac Jones. Mac Jones did not belong in the Pro Bowl. They had to call like nine people before getting to Mac Jones, I imagine. The point is there, all of those rookies, even... Even then, I feel like I need a larger sample size to figure it out. It's going to take two or three years to figure out what Trey Lance is and what Trey Lance isn't, unless he's as good as Patrick Mahomes, which is probably not going to happen. So it's going to take that time to figure out what Lance is. Sitting on the bench is just delaying the process and saying, well, we really liked him at the time of drafting him, but we just weren't ready to play him yet. I would have disagreed with that, especially if I thought Trey Lance was that special quarterback that they're hoping he's going to be. And they've got a great team to build around him with. Well, maybe Kyle Shanahan is a little bit more of an old school philosophy here, but he believes that they can develop him on the bench. And again, you would be developing another season in theory behind the greatest of all time quarterback. Now, Tom Brady doesn't necessarily have a great track record of mentoring quarterbacks behind him, but you do have the potential, especially if Brady knows what it is. If Brady knows this is a one year, one and done, I just wanted to play with the Niners one season before I retire type thing then the incentive to also help motivate Trey Lance is there because I think deep down in his heart, Brady's still a Niners fan. I think that's what the book shows me. I think that that's what this rumor shows me. The fact that this is even a possibility suggests that that San Mateo kid is shining through. And Brady was at Joe Montana's last game in San Francisco. How ridiculous is that? Tom Brady was at the catch game. There is just some coding that you just can't unwrite. And I think that that's why that this is even still a possibility. Could it be Michael Jordan to the Wizards? Maybe, but I'm just looking at what Tom Brady literally did last year. If I had an MVP vote, I might give him the vote over Rodgers. That's tough. It's tough. I'm not going to not going to rule it out entirely. I think you can make an argument that he's second to Rogers, but some people are going to give it to him for the career. Congratulations on being 44 years old and defying all of our logic. It really depends what stats you value more. Do you value QBR more or do you value interception ratio more? I mean, 5,000 yards, literally almost 1,300 yards more than Rogers. About the same touchdowns. And there, there was a thing that someone did where they took out Aaron Rodgers' NFC North games and they drastically changed the averages. Definitely playing against the Lions, Bears, and Vikings was a nice little boost. Of course, you would say Brady also has the Falcons and Panthers in there. So kind of a wash. Still, have to I go hate against the, the MVP conversation because this year was a cop-out year for the MVP. We just had no one to give it to. So we kind of just gave it to Rodgers again. Probably should have been Derrick Henry if he had stayed healthy all the way through. There's just no one to give. We had to give the MVP to someone. So we just gave it to Aaron Rodgers because he only threw three interceptions in the last 15 games of the season. I know there's a campaign on the internet to give it to Cooper cup now that we've seen the results of the playoffs good on cooper cup uh that would have been funny to watch um but there there was just no one to give it to this year rogers to san francisco would make a lot of sense if they give up trey lance because see that one would be the one that you'd have to give up lance because rogers is a multi-year player that you would bring bring in on that is a fair point you can get brady for nothing it's a great point. You can just swap Brady for Garoppolo if you want and just plug and play that situation. I don't know if Garoppolo would want to go to Tampa, but he doesn't control.
control that right now, does he? He can technically go anywhere for one year. He does have a no trade clause, so he does control oh, it he does? a little bit. Pardon my language. Who the fuck gave Jimmy Garoppolo a no trade clause? <laughs> Why would you put that in his contract? Was that just like five games of winning at the end of that meaningless season? They're like, let's give this guy a no trade clause in the richest contract in the NFL. Why would anyone give Garoppolo a no trade clause? I want to say his no trade clause kicked in after year three. So it wasn't something that he was given out the gate. So he had to obviously prove that he was a franchise quarterback. And we could pick apart Jimmy Garoppolo all day. You won the trade with New England. Oh, but no question. But Bill Belichick took a lesser offer to give Garoppolo a good home. It's a fascinating story that people don't talk about enough. He turned down a first round pick from the Browns in order to send him to San Francisco for a high second rounder. It's a fascinating turn. Bill Belichick took less to support his beloved Garoppolo. And I will thank Bill Belichick for doing it because as much of a roller coaster as the Jimmy Garoppolo experience was compared to the other roller coasters of Carson Wentz, I would take the highs of Jimmy Garoppolo over the lows of Carson Wentz any day of the week, twice on Sundays. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. Uh, James Harden is going to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. The official trade goes as such. Brooklyn will get Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2027 first-round pick. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers will get James Harden and Paul Millsap. I know you've already expressed that you don't think that the Nets have gotten enough, but I think this is the best deal they could have gotten given the situation. The only alternative would have been to not make a trade, but James Harden had been kind of working on this for months as we're learning now that he had wanted to make the move. Is it possible that the 76ers won the trade and also the Brooklyn Nets are still a better team than the 76ers? Yes, it is. And that is only because Kevin Durant still plays in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Uh, I say that The 76ers are a better team today than they were yesterday. The Brooklyn Nets are a worse team today than they were yesterday. But Brooklyn is still a better team than the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, This doesn't close the gap completely, but it does make Philadelphia a legitimate championship contender, which they were last year, sort of. And then they had the one in 778 collapse, according to the fact that they had a 99.6% chance of winning that game five against the Hawks and a 90. 8% chance of winning that game seven against the Hawks. And they still lost both of those games. Crazy fluky loss that happened to them last year that, you know, forced Ben Simmons to basically be like, yeah, I don't want to play for the Sixers anymore. I'm not going to play for the Sixers anymore. And I just want to go somewhere else to continue my NBA career. And that is a great, great job by Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey held out his cards to try and get a James Harden trade together. Remember, a year ago when James Harden was the last major superstar to get traded in the NBA, that James Harden had two destinations that he wanted to go to. He wanted to go to Philadelphia and he wanted to go to Brooklyn. And he ended up going to Brooklyn because it, I guess, provide, I mean, he wanted to go to Brooklyn and Brooklyn made the best offer in a trade package. And what basically looks like to me is James Harden had like buyer's remorse. He's like, okay, I kind of want to go to the Sixers now. Like this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I think the Sixers are the best place for me to be. And he worked in the background to make it happen and used all of his leverage of saying, well, what if I just decline my player option and hit free agency? Then you'll lose me for nothing. 
at the end of the season. James Harden made his way to Philadelphia, which I thought was going to happen in the offseason. And I think James Harden ultimately does want to be in Philadelphia long term. This feels like the destination that he wanted to go to. And he can do the Chris Paul thing where he gets his one last contract with the veterans plus plus whatever it's called in the I don't know what it's called in the CBA, but he can make like $280 million on his final contract uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think he's probably going to resign unless everything goes cataclysmically terrible in the next 12 months. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is going to work out wonderfully for the Philadelphia 76ers. It's all going to come down to Joel Embiid's health, which has been a reoccurring thing throughout his career. Thankfully for the Philadelphia 76ers on their behalf, Joel Embiid has been really healthy at least the last couple of years and is on his way to an MVP campaign. So gain a little bit more offense, a little bit more firepower and a year in which they can win a championship. I think the Philadelphia 76ers, yeah, they can win a championship this year. They can come out of the East. I think they're a great matchup for the Bucs. I think they're a good matchup against the Nets if the Nets can rebound here because Because for the Nets, yes, they do get Ben Simmons. They're still probably a few weeks away from Kevin Durant making his official return from this MCL injury. So it's important for Ben Simmons to get out there ready to play. And I don't know what to tell you as far as his mental state, his physical state. People have said he's been in great shape, but that's always different from actually playing on the court. Kyrie Irving is still an enigma who's playing on a part-time basis. The Nets are in the midst of a nine-game slide and are currently sitting eighth in the East. And while they're being eighth in the East isn't a death sentence because the East is still maintaining a level of close proximity between the top and bottom half of the playoff standings. You just can't continue to lose games like they have. Their next game, I think, is like against the Wizards or something. Who they got next? Let's see here. I believe one of them is the Wizards. And then I know that they play uh, the Heat, I think, somewhere in there. And then they play apparently Hell, which is the Sacramento Kings, who, you know, this is an audio medium, but I'm repping all of my Sacramento Kings gear because hopefully we will talk about my beloved team at some point here. But yeah, they play the Kings, the Wizards, who are now tanking their season. Miami, who's really good. The, the, Knicks, the Knicks, the Wizards again. The Knicks, yeah. yeah. So they have Thank an opportunity you. to at least get off that schneid. But um, they need to get some W's on the board to kind of show that this team is still competing. I, I don't think that they can allow this losing streak to continue to permeate, especially now that they've revamped the face of their roster with this trade. As long as they get to the playoffs and as long as everyone is healthy, It doesn't matter exactly what seed they are um, because we've seen them be great before, but they are as good as Kevin Durant at this point. And I know it's overly simplistic in doing the analysis. Like I said it off the top. I know Seth Curry's one of the better shooters and he's one of the 50 best players in the league. And that's your compensation for going from James Harden to Ben Simmons. You could argue fit is better for Brooklyn. They have depth now. All, All the pieces you can argue about how the Nets won the trade, which I've seen a lot of people talk about today. They're not giving up. This isn't like the Rockets trading James Harden where they're now just giving up on trying to be good. They're trying to be really good at this point. And team construct wise, Curry and Drummond are good acquisitions, I think, for the Nets. Uh, Drummond, obviously a big man for them. We know one of the biggest net shortcomings is their defense. So someone that just could get boards, true big man like the Big Penguin should be an improvement for them. Seth Curry, while obviously not as good as his Hall of Fame brother, has shown that he's a dynamic scorer in his own right. 
I think he has one of the better three point percentages in the league. So shows that that just goes through the bloodline that just ability to be a sharpshooter. Curry is definitely a great acquisition. Um, it looks like he's going to be in their starting lineup, which is fine, especially with Kyrie Irving being in and out. You need some ways to supplement that offense um, in the Meanwhile, while you don't have Durant, uh, I think it's just important for them to at least go three and three somewhere in the next few weeks. I've heard Durant potentially after the all-star break, they just need to start getting some wins so they can show that we're still in the midst of this. Because I I think it's important to get out of this play-in round because it's just more games, more minutes, more opportunity for these guys to get hurt. Um, So (laughs) I think it's better to just mitigate your risk and try and get into the upper spot because looking ahead of them okay so you have the Celtics they've made some trades today they've been playing better ball the Raptors are ahead of them at the moment you expect the 76ers are going to shoot up the standings now getting hard in will the Cavaliers start to fall a little bit back will the Bulls start to fall back to form will the Bucks slow down coming off a blowout win over the Lakers I doubt it uh, the Heat seem to just be one of the better constructed teams in the league. So who are they exactly jumping in the standings? Um, and who is the best matchups for them? It's going to be one of those questions that I think the Nets are going to have to figure out. Well, I think the standings part is going to be semantics once we get down to the end. Because I think all this losing streak costs Brooklyn is a chance to be the number one seed in the East, which really doesn't matter all that much. I don't think the number you one seed has... Is, is uh, it better that they're not given one of their all-stars limitations. I like that argument that people have made. I think the argument I just point to is like, I think if you go back to the last four or five years, the 2018 Cavs were the four seed. The 2019 Raptors were the two seed. The 2020 Heat were the five seed. Uh, Last year, the Bucks were like the three seed. Like it really doesn't matter that much. I think one of those Shaq and Kobe Lakers teams was like a six seed or something like that. Like the seeding really doesn't matter that much as long as you get in the tournament and don't have to play a one game winner go home play in. As long as you get in the top six, you're fine. If you have Kevin Durant, you're going to get in the top six because Kevin Durant can beat Darius Garland any given night. Um, That part's not that important. Is someone who was saying that their mental health wasn't there to play the season ready to go into a win now environment with the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant, who's on legacy building mode and Kyrie Irving, who is, well, Kyrie Irving. Is Ben Simmons fit for this locker room? Uh as long as they embrace him and love him, I think he's going to be fit for the locker room, but that's something that I don't know what they're going to choose. I don't know if Kevin Durant's going to resent Ben Simmons. I don't know really how any of those people interact with each other. So we'll find out, but I am really fascinated by the Ben Simmons part of this because when Brooklyn traded for James Harden, who we only got to watch 16 games of Kyrie Irving, James Harden and Kevin Durant, which I said was the best thing the NBA could have had was those three playing together. Cause it was going to be not quite the warriors, but closest, thing to a Goliath we could find since the Warriors. I thought it was going to be awesome. And now that's obviously gone. 16 games, that stat, just holding that under a microscope, 16 games. Wow. Well, the whole point of it was we're going to score 140 points and allow 130 points. That was the entire construct of their team. Now they very strategically in dumping James Harden. And I don't know what they're going to do in the buyout market either. They might go get someone else. They've basically strategically said, we're getting a big who plays amazing defense in Andre Drummond. At least he used to play amazing defense. He's not the same player he used to be, but a a true center. That's not Blake Griffin. Uh, We're putting a true center and the best defensive wing in the NBA in Ben Simmons. We are going 
to anchor our defense with that dude. And that's how we're going to not be the worst defensive team in the NBA, except the Los Angeles Lakers and teams that are tanking. We are uh, of teams that are not tanking. They are the worst defense in the NBA. And we are going to, we're going to actually have a more balanced roster where Kevin Durant is the de facto point guard or Ben Simmons can run the offense potentially. Uh, Kyrie Irving's a shooting guard. Seth Curry is a shooting guard because those are the best places to put both of them is on the wings. And then you're just going to put one big guy in the middle or you just get LaMarcus Aldridge to sit in the corner and shoot threes and let Ben Simmons drive to the basket. Kevin Durant drive to the basket. Do the things that make those two great offensively because Ben Simmons for all of the crap that we give him for being a terrible shooter, Ben Simmons has never needed to be a good shooter because when he gets within five feet of the basket, he is as good as like LeBron James once he gets close to the rim. Like Ben Simmons is amazing when he gets close to the rim and doesn't pass the ball out at the end because he's petrified to get fouled, which is the other crux of this is that Ben Simmons is as good as LeBron James when he gets inside. So people just foul him and send him to the free throw line instead of letting him be LeBron James inside. But that's a whole nother point there is, you know, Ben Simmons is acquired for being the best defensive wing in the NBA and also being an okay player once he gets to the basket. He's a 6'11 point guard. I mean, come on. it's it's He's amazing. He's one of the top 25 players in the NBA. And exactly why Daryl Morey waited until he could get a player better than Ben Simmons to trade Ben Simmons and was totally prepared to move past the trade deadline with Ben Simmons. And now it'll be really fun to watch once they meet in the playoffs. It'll be really fun to watch when they play either Milwaukee or, cross our fingers, a Philadelphia versus Brooklyn matchup. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. What do you think about a trade deadline coming and going and your number 12 team, the Los Angeles Lakers, not making a single move? Uh, They didn't really have many options, right? So uh, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James put them at the luxury tax threshold. That by those three contracts alone, they're at the luxury tax threshold. They get $10 million with uh, Taylor Horton Tucker because you're allowed to go over to re-sign people. Uh, you get the mid-level exception for Kendrick Nunn and everyone else is a minimum contract. They tried to trade Taylor Horton Tucker. I think I saw Josh Richardson was connected in that deal, but Taylor Horton Tucker has been kind of shit this year. Kendrick Nunn hasn't played a single game this year. So unless they were going to trade Russell Westbrook, there wasn't any way they were able to make a trade at the trade deadline. They have chosen this roster and they are going to have to deal with the ramifications of this. Uh, so there wasn't really anything they could do other than trade Kendrick Nunn for, I don't know, Bull Bull. <laughs> Damn it, your joke Nunn. was better. You're, I, I walked over your joke. Damn it. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. I All good, it. but the Lakers, number 12, four games under 500. Doesn't look like help is on the way. What's the expectations for these guys? They're probably going to sneak into the playoffs just because I'm looking at Portland who's chasing them. And yes, Portland just beat them, but I don't think Portland has enough firepower to catch them. So they might slide to 10 conceivably. There is a possibility they slide down to 10 where the New Orleans Pelicans are, if argument's sake, maybe Zion decides to do something this season. If Zion gets surgery, because uh, he's kind of just sitting in limbo on getting surgery at this point. I don't think CJ McCollum is good enough to really carry them. I don't but know you... LeBron, AD, and Russ is good enough to carry the Lakers. 
in fairness to the Lakers, before I make my joke, in fairness to the Lakers, this is the best strategy for them to do is instead of selling low on Russell Westbrook, just try and rebuild the ship in the air. Like hope that by the time you get to April, everyone gets healthy. Everyone can figure out how to play with each other. Russ starts to look like Russ in Washington, which requires him to be more ball dominant, which is a problem because LeBron James requires being ball dominant, but they just figure it out themselves. That's the best strategy for the Lakers than selling low on Russell Westbrook. You sleep on the team that's going to knock the Lakers out of the playoffs, which is more so going to knock the Clippers out of the playoffs because the Clippers are about to fall off hard. I have a fairly good idea that the Clippers are going to really fall off here in a second, but team that's going to chase them down is, of course, none other than the Sacramento Kings. The great have not made the playoffs since 2006 hometown Sacramento Kings, of which I'm repping their hat. Well, I haven't bought a Tyrese Halliburton jersey yet, but maybe it's time to buy a Sabonis jersey for the lore of the Sacramento Kings who are doing everything they can conceivably possibly do to find themselves four games out of the playoffs with five to play, which is the place the Sacramento Kings have lived my entire life. They are always four games out of the playoffs with five games to play. And this year, they're going to make damn sure that they are four games out of the playoffs with five to play with the one-two punch of De'Aaron Fox and now Demata Sabonis, who, by the way, the most perfect encapsulation of the Sacramento Kings. I'm sorry to just do this lore right now, but the most perfect encapsulation of the Kings is not the fact that on the night Luke Walton got fired, a fan projectile vomited onto the court, causing a 10-minute delay, or the fact that the Sacramento Kings during the protests for the murder of Stefan Clark in Sacramento actually let 2,000 people into the stadium, closed the door, and just brought all 2,000 people down to the bowl because they're like, ah, shit, unfortunately, you guys can't come into the stadium. It's not the fact that they drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. It's not the fact that until this afternoon when Marvin Bagley was finally traded, he was the second longest tenured Sacramento King, or the fact that the Sacramento Kings traded DeMarcus Cousins the greatest thing they've had in 15 years for Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald gave the money sign to the general manager at a practice wanting an extension, got that extension, immediately requested a trade, did not get traded for three years because that's how the Sacramento Kings do it. They were also offered a first round pick from the Atlanta Hawks in the Bogdan Bogdanovich trade. And they just said, nah, we're good. You can just have him. We'll relinquish his rights. We, w- we don't even want the first round pick. You can just have him for free. It is none of that. It is is the fact that none of those things are the most perfect encapsulation of the Kings. It is the fact that yesterday during the pregame show on NBC Sports Bay Area, a single fan attending a Timberwolves-Kings game, tickets that I remind you cost $8 if you wanted to go watch the first Kings game of the Demodis Sabonis era. For $8, that fan showed up with a sign that said, Welcome to Hell, Domas. That is the perfect encapsulation. Kings fans know that they are barely a professional sports organization. It is hell. It is my beautiful hell. And the Sacramento Kings are going to fight aggressively to knock the Lakers of LeBron James out of the playoffs and fail at the end. Welcome to hell. (laughs) Shout out to Sacramento. Shout out to the 917 right over there. Shout out to Sacramento. Love y'all. So it did start with the DeMonte Sabonis trade. Uh, that happened with the Indiana Pacers. That took place on the 8th. The Pacers managed to get out of that deal. Buddy Hill, Tyrese Halliburton, which caused some controversy on Twitter. And also coming to the Kings in that transaction, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick. But that wasn't it for the Kings. 
As he mentioned, they were very active. They acquired Dante DiVincenzo, Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson in exchange with the Bucks for Serge Ibaka. So good deal for the Bucks. Uh, Serge Ibaka always makes his teams better. It's always good to get a good defensive wing like Serge. Also sent over some cash on over to Milwaukee in that transaction. So yes, it looks like the Kings are at least trying to make some moves happen. Speaking of another team that's making moves happen, the Washington Wizards were surprisingly active this trade <laughs> deadline. The Washington Wizards traded with Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte gets Montrez Harrell. Washington got East Smith and Vernon Carey Jr. And then the next trade the Wizards pulled off, they got Kristaps Porzingis in a future second round pick in exchange with the Mavericks for Spencer Dimwitty and Davis Bertans. Don't know if that makes the Wizards a playoff team as they try and scratch and claw their way into the play-in tournament. But it is interesting whenever you see a big name like Kristaps, who is thought to be Luka Doncic's two, get traded to Washington to essentially be part of a lost season as Bradley Bill is also gone for the Wizards. I did see he got ruled out for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Wizards, uh, as soon as they lost Bradley Beal, they decided to go into full sell mode. Uh, They traded every piece that they had acquired for Russell Westbrook, except they kept Kyle Kuzma, but they traded everyone else out of there. The Wizards joke was that they were basically just Bradley Beal and reject Lakers. Uh, Now they get to be reject Dallas Mavericks uh, with Kristaps Porzingis coming over. to Reject Knicks. The Knicks still probably claim him a little. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know how happy Knicks fans were with the ending there. Jeez, didn't work out so great. Porzingis was an all-star and then tore his ACL and it was all about over for him at that point. Yeah, the Wizards don't really matter, but neither do the Kings. And I love the Sacramento Kings with all of my heart. We just got gigantic, lovable losers that are not a real NBA team. They are just a Ponzi scheme for everyone else's NBA teams to succeed. That's the territory the Wizards are going to. Bradley Beal can leave as a free agent at the end of this year. I know he said he wants to stay with the Wizards, but he's kind of contemplated his future more recently because he can be a free agent at the end of the year I would really laugh at the Wizards if they end up getting basically nothing for Bradley Beal when they could have had gigantic trade offers from the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz like we're talking deals that rival the Harden trade from a year ago to the Nets like they could have had gigantic offers for Bradley Beal and they decided it would be better to aggressively fight for the 10 seed than to try and potentially get Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray or or Ben Simmons in a possible Bradley Beal trade. This one really looks like it's going to suck for the Wizards at the end. But yeah, they traded everyone and Bradley Beal's done for the season. And they're now going to go miss the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I should add that I misread the official Serge Ibaka trade. It was actually a four-team trade. The Clippers actually got some pieces out of it, as well as the Detroit Pistons. Marvin Bagley the third. He went on over to Detroit, joining Cade Cunningham. Young core there for the Detroit Pistons, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the Clippers got Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale. Semi Ojale. Semi Ojale. How am I missing on that name? He was on the Celtics for years. Speaking of the Celtics, the Celtics had an actually active trade deadline. Not in anything super exciting by any means, but they were definitely active. It started off early, uh, cash dump trade with the Magic, got rid of P.J. Dozier and Bull Bull. Again, cash considerations. They got a future second round pick back out of that deal. Then later in the day, they traded with the San Antonio Spurs, got Derek White, 
Josh Richardson goes on over to San Antonio. So they lose a shooter there. They lose Romeo Langford, who was a project for them. They lose a first round pick, protected one through four. And then they swap rights on a 2028 first round pick. So they gave up a lot of draft capital to get Derek White. Not really thrilled with that because I think draft capital is big for the Celtics as they move forward. Their next big trade was gained Daniel Thijs back in Boston, trading with the Houston Rockets, getting rid of Dennis Schroeder's expiring contract, Enos Freedom Cantor and Bruno Fernando, which on second thought and retrospective, it's probably a better deal because Enos just kind of wasting away on the bench. Bruno kind of just wasting away on the bench. You got a big back who's only $2 million more than Dennis Schroeder's contract. You knew you were probably going to lose Schroeder anyway, and you probably aren't going to re-sign him for about a $15 million contract like he's probably going to get here in the offseason. So it's probably the best trade that the Celtics honestly could have got out of that situation. And given that you did get White from San Antonio, you really didn't need Schroeder for their rotation. You have Marcus Smart as your other point guard, so you could decide who's the starter, who's the backup point guard there. The problem with the Celtics is they now only have 10 people on the roster and need five more spots to fill. So I don't know exactly how they're going to fill out this roster. And it's interesting these moves they're making that will shake up the chemistry when the Celtics are really starting to peak in their season, are really starting to hit their stride. So I'm curious to see how this affects their rotations. What the Celtics have been doing recently, they've been going a lot of eight-man rotations to avoid putting guys out there like Neesmith, keeping the kids hidden, keeping Romeo Langford hidden. I guess you would say that's probably the reason you get rid of Romeo Langford. You weren't really using him. So now you're going to see shorter rotations and you're really just going to have to hope that people don't get hurt because I think that's why they were struggling earlier because you had Jalen Brown in and out of the lineup. Now he's back and now we're starting to see this roster start to gel a little bit more. Uh, White, 15 points per game scores. Doesn't hurt coming off the bench. Um, Obviously, Ime Odoka worked with him in San Antonio when he was there as an assistant a chemistry move there. I think the Boston Celtics probably get like a B for their trade deadline yeah. because Derek White moves. was originally Derek White was originally part of what they thought the core of the team was going to be when they were in the bubble and almost made it to the playoffs. And they were like, these are the new San Antonio Spurs, but they kind of messed DeRozan up a little bit and they kind of stunted uh, Derek White's growth a little bit. They didn't really get him appropriate minutes. Same thing with Lonnie Walker. Yeah. They're just kind of stuck in purgatory. I would have loved DeJounte Murray to be part of these trade packages. I I think I would have loved a move like that for the Celtics, but have to temper expectations while they're trying to do two things at once, cash dump, not trade too many future assets, get guys that elevate their stars that they already have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And from a lot of speculation as to what White's role can be, he has an opportunity to be a slightly better playmaker than than Denda Schroeder was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what the Celtics need. I've been looking for them to get that Chris Paul type or hell, even a Ricky Rubio type to be able to amplify the best of Tatum and Brown. So if White can do that, then I think it's a good trade. It's a piece, right? None of these trades that the Celtics made are going to dramatically change the outcome of the season for them. They, their moves, they, they clear some cap space a little bit, you know. They just tinkered around the edges. It's not like the massive move the Sacramento Kings made by acquiring Josh Jackson, which is amazing to me because Josh Jackson was the only reason they got De'Aaron Fox in the first place was that the Sacramento Kings had the five pick that year and Phoenix had the four pick. Phoenix took Josh Jackson 
incredible bust and the Kings lucked their way into De'Aaron Fox with the next pick. So uh, now Josh Jackson gets to be reunited with De'Aaron Fox as lo- along with, I uh, can't remember, uh, DiVincenzo, I think is finally back with the Kings after their two-year courtship. They finally got DiVincenzo after he was originally traded in the Bogdanovich trade to the Kings. The Kings really, really wanted DiVincenzo. So they made that move. Uh, Suns made a couple fun moves today. They got Aaron Holiday. Uh, they got Tory Craig. They finally traded Jalen Smith, who I think was a top 10 pick, not like less than two years ago. Um, it really didn't work out well for them. Phoenix Suns, remarkably bad at drafting, except the one time they got really lucky and got <laughs> I got Devin Booker with the 13 pick. Like, I think Suns did little fun tinker moves. There weren't really any other like landscape altering moves besides the Wizards tearing everything down and the obvious James Harden move. A lot of it was just little tinker moves. Moves. It was Josh Richardson here and Dennis Schroeder here. It was uh, li- little tiny trades all over the place. Yeah, it's not like the MLB trade deadline where you'll see stars go in droves on expiring contracts. With the salary matching, NBA trades are more complicated than the other sports. At least I find them. Maybe it's because I'm not yeah. as focused on and I don't know the role players for each and every team. So I can't really tell you the differences on East Smith and Bernie Carey Jr. are what they're going to bring to the Washington Wizards. All I know, it is it seems like a lateral move for the Wizards. I can tell you what Ish Smith is going to bring to the Wizards because he just spent the last three years on the Wizards and he spent half a year on Charlotte. Now he's back on the Wizards. It's kind of weird how that one worked out. But baseball is different because you can trade prospects and the possibility of something down the road more than you can in the NBA. The NBA only has so many draft picks. Baseball teams have unlimited players deep in their farm systems that they can trade from for players big or small. And sometimes the Atlanta Braves entire or half of the Braves entire championship offense gets acquired at the trade deadline in baseball. That's not always the case in the NBA. Sometimes you get a James Harden trade at the deadline or, well, I guess last year also a James Harden trade at the deadline. And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. We do actually have a baseball headline that we wanted to touch on a little bit. Trevor Bauer, former Cy Young Award winner. We haven't heard about him for multiple months. Trevor Bauer um, is exonerated of any criminal charges in his ongoing battle with a woman that's accusing him of sexual chicanery. I don't know would be the right terminology there. Which, this is a big thing for Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, I know, released his own statements, released a YouTube video talking about it, was suspended by the MLB for the latter half of the Dodgers' run to the postseason. Obviously, when the Dodgers first acquired Bauer, they were thinking, okay, this is to build on a repeat World Series championship here. Now questions are just, is Trevor Bauer going to continue to be a active pitcher in Major League Baseball? And without criminal charges against him, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be allowed to continue to pitch in the MLB. Now, the big question that's getting asked is, is he going to be allowed to continue to pitch in a Dodgers uniform? If you were in charge of the Dodgers, how do you handle the Trevor Bauer situation? So this is an interesting place that the Dodgers find themselves in right now, which is now that the legal situation has 
has proceeded from a criminal standpoint, which again, the, the point that I feel like is important to emphasize is that the possibility of pursuing criminal charges is a higher bar than nothing happened at all. And this is something that people have been good about talking about during this Trevor Bauer case, which is it's a very high bar to end up proving in court that you can pursue criminal charges against Trevor Bauer. And so uh, I wouldn't take Trevor Bauer's seven minute video titled The Truth at face value that is currently up on YouTube right now. I wouldn't necessarily take that at the same face value of the fact that nothing happened, which is the the part that Trevor Bauer and his legal team are going to start to conduct because it's beneficial for him to end up starting his career again. If you're the Dodgers standpoint, now that the legal situation appears to be out and now it's just a major league baseball investigation, which ultimately I don't think major league baseball is going to bring charges about on Trevor Bauer for like a suspension against the domestic violence rule. Maybe they'll do something of this sort. Um, they obviously got a Chapman with a, I think it was like a 81 game suspension, which was remarkably surprising at the time. Um, even though a Chapman's victim, I believe it was his either girlfriend or partner um, refused to press charges against him at the time. Regardless, I think baseball can get away with it. It, it depending on what the conduct, the results of their investigation are of giving him a laxer punishment. And at that point, it's up to the Dodgers whether or not they want him representing the organization. And this is a really difficult point that they're going to have to figure out over the next few months as the Major League Baseball investigation, which I put in air quotes, comes to a close, is that if he gets a level of punishment from the NFL, which, or I'm sorry, from the MLB, uh, if, if you want to connect this to Deshaun Watson as well, we're in a similar type of situation where he might not get criminal charges pursued because the bar is very high in the state of Texas for uh, criminal sexual assault. But also we kind of expect he'll get a suspension from the NFL, whether it's eight or 16 or whatever it ends up being, we're not sure. But similar situation with Bowers that criminally he's been cleared of wrongdoing at this point. So they're not going to have him go to jail. The woman I believe is not pursuing financial compensation. I think she requested a restraining order and it was denied because they live in different cities now. Now, and so they felt the restraining order was unnecessary. So at this point, it seems like the legal matter is going to pass by. The Dodgers are kind of just looking at this of can, I mean, again, the cold hearted fact, do we want our sports teams to have a moral compass? If we take all of the morals and ethics out of this now and put it strictly in a baseball perspective, it is, does Trevor Bauer provide us enough value to take the negative PR of having him start games for them? And I, I think the question that I have to ask with the moral compass argument is what is the moral compass of uh, something of this nature? Because there's such a gray area with consent and they both agreeing to have this type of relationship based around rough sex as it's often been described. How do we kind of litigate that um, by the standards of a baseball team? Because obviously if he had some other kink that was less pain inducing, we would probably not come down on him. We found out he had some over-the-top foot fetish or was into scat play or something along that nature. It would be a non-story. Well, it might be a story, but it might be one we laugh at since it's mm -hmm. something in which someone's getting physically harmed. And that's the whole reason for, of course, the legal proceedings that followed. How do we kind of look at this guy moving forward when it comes to can he be part of our baseball team? Because it's his sexual kink, which we told people to not shame people's kinks, right? That's something that's been talked about a lot more in recent society, like letting people be themselves, aside from if they're hurting someone in a non-consenting manner. 
So one of the important parts of this is that besides of the allegations that were brought about in court, there's been really well done reporting by, I don't have it in front of me right now, and I don't want to misquote some of this, but there's been really good reporting done by journalists that talk about, you know, Trevor Bauer potentially like fracturing ribs and concussing the woman as they were going about like really gruesome details that are done in journal in like journalistically credible reporting and in this that, case. And that goes into obviously you can't consent for someone to kill you right you can't mm-hmm. consent for someone to help you with your suicide uh we have standards such as statutory if you're underage you can't consent to things sexually so this would kind of fall into that parameters in a way because you're actually causing physical harm to someone even if they're asking for it that's kind of just like damn dude like i don't envy the situation to be put in it just what do you do? So this is so this is the part again. I wish I had the reporting in front of me because then I would just read directly from the story. Um, I just didn't have the time to pull it up in front of me for this story. And the the details in there kind of convinced me. Just the idea that very clearly something happened here that is morally objectionable uh, from the standpoint of just a woman feeling unsafe in having sex. What was previous was a sexual encounter with consent originally ends up becoming something that requires her to want to file a restraining order and pursue criminal charges on behalf of her protection. And I think, you know, just personally from my morals and, you know, my ethics in this point, I, one of the things that I actually find very important when we do this talking is we do a really shitty job in society of protecting women, not just in the workplace, but also in situations like what we're talking about with Trevor Bauer and Deshaun Watson and the lawsuit going on at LSU right now. That's just something that I personally value a lot. And so when we're having this conversation, it's difficult to talk about what the moral obligation of the Dodgers is relative to like our personal moral obligations. And I think this kind of teeters back and forth because again, it's very clearly detailed reporting about what Trevor Bauer did to this woman that you know, if all proven to be true, you could kind of build a case for Trevor Bauer needs some level of accountability, whether criminally or not. It's a very high bar to judge criminal sexual assault in this context. It's a really high bar and usually requires repeated incidents, especially when you're also going up against someone with infinite resources. Well, here's what the judge said. If she set limits and he exceeded them, this case would be very clear, but she set limits without fully considering all the consequences. Uh, The judge in this case was referring to the messages of wanting all the pain, in quotes. Uh, Mm -hmm. In a written exchange, petitioner, the accuser, said that she wanted all the pain. Those were her words. Should respondent Bauer have believed her? And I I think that's why this one is such a tough one. And if I, you know, I'm a judge and I'm trying to look at this objectionably, I have these texts to go off of, aside from their own accounts that they vocalized. And these texts are pretty damning, right? Like if you're trying to pursue like extra additional action, because you're telling the guy, in this case, Trevor Bauer, I want all the pain. And do I agree with what he eventually went on to go do? No, but that's also because I don't subscribe to Trevor Bauer's sexual preferences, yeah, understand and, them. And again, I, I wish I had the reporting here so I could go based off of it. I'm like trying to find it as we go. But one of the things was the text messages uh, that were ending up sent to the Los Angeles Times where the woman uh, talked about when she was texting with her cousin, quote, in response to a photo of her injured face, quote, as long as it is consensual, I don't have to kill him. And then the woman replied, it was consensual, but I didn't like the two black eyes, question mark, question mark. Look, he definitely 
took it too far, don't you think? So those are just like, again, I only have so much detailed reporting here. I'm trying to find it because it's it's obviously if you type Trevor Bauer into Google right now, the things that keep coming up are Trevor Bauer, you know, the stories from two days ago instead of the reporting that was done back in June and July about concussions being given and black eyes and broken ribs and situations like that. It's really difficult to judge this. And I don't want to do the moral compass game on this more so than personally not the biggest fan of Trevor Bauer and personal accountability is accountability in some way, shape or form is important. This is the thing I talked about with Deshaun Watson is like, I'm not the moral arbiter on this situation. When 23 women come forward accusing Deshaun Watson, it's really hard to have a, he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, all the way down to 23. She says like very clearly there is something there. I just don't know what the moral compass is. And ultimately just a natural human instinct is that we want someone else to take the morals out of our hands and be the moral compass for us. It's why we create laws. It's why we put faith in institutions and why we sometimes turn to corporations to sometimes hand out punishment. We try and pressure Major League Baseball to try and issue some sort of punishment. It's like, well, if they're not going to face criminal charges because they're rich and powerful and they're not going to face Deshaun Watson, the uh, civil court, if they're not going to face a civil suit because they're also rich and powerful and they can just pay money in compensation. But you would then also say what is the measure of accountability? Or sadists too that have this same type of king, right? Yes, but this feels different from the reporting I've seen because- on this story. It feels different because we know the guy. It feels different because of the reporting I read six months ago that I'm trying actively to find so that I can read directly from, but I haven't been able to find it on the internet recently because I don't remember who published it. But that's the part that felt different for me is credible journalism that's been done around this story leads me to believe there is very clearly something here. It's somewhere between it's not able to be proven in court criminally and between nothing happened. I just don't know exactly where along in there it happened. And I I don't know whether Trevor Bauer missing an entire season, but still getting paid essentially what happened to Deshaun Watson this year, which is you get paid, but you don't get to play for half a season and whatever other punishment Major League Baseball is going to hand down. I'm not sure whether that's a fair punishment or not for Trevor Bauer. I again, if I say it's possibly a fair punishment. Someone else might come in and say it's not enough given the state of affairs and the legal process and all of that stuff. I think we're going to come to a more concrete resolution somewhere soon here. I'm just not sure if whatever the decision is, it's going to be correct because again, this is morals. It's very difficult to judge what is fair and what is not in figuring this out. Like I don't know if two sexual encounters that may or may not have been sexual assault, but very clearly something happened here that leaves a woman battered and beaten and so scared that she wants to file a restraining order and pursue criminal charges against a rich and powerful person, which takes a lot of strength to do. I'm not sure where the bar is on that. And Trevor Bowers already served, what, like 70 something games plus a playoff run of paid leave. It's like basically being suspended. So it's like, how much more are we just adding a hat on the hat with his suspension? 
it's not exactly being suspended because he still got paid. If he were suspended, he wouldn't get the money for those games. So he still got his $22 million. So it's not quite the suspension there. It's just, he doesn't get to do this thing that he loves or or Trevor Bauer doesn't really love baseball in that way. Trevor Bauer's talked about how he, he was just always very good at it, but he's not actually an athlete, but he doesn't get to do his job. He still gets paid to do it. He just doesn't get to, do the job he still gets paid for the job he just doesn't get to do it and so is basically the choice for trevor bauer either you love baseball more or you love snm play more no because you don't have to love baseball to be great at baseball you can still be an amazing baseball player without having the love of the game or all that propaganda that gets sold to us a lot that's why i love tim anderson who's like I don't really like baseball. I'm just really, really good at it. And I can make millions of dollars playing it. You don't have to love baseball. Uh, You do have to respect women. That part, I think, is something we should absolutely put out there. Okay, well, I'll end this on a joke then. What's the difference between a sadist and a dentist? Oh, boy, this is going to be dark. Let's hear what it is. Newer magazines. Ah, nice. You know what? That is that is a five out of ten joke. I thought I was scared in the moment. I'm like, oh, is this gonna be is this gonna be something really dark? I'll give that to you. That is a that is a that is a pr- okay joke. That is a pretty good joke. Not easy transitioning off of Trevor Bauer and all this craziness, but we'll, we'll guess we'll see what more transpires once the Dodgers get the story. But all right, and well, Major we- League Baseball hands out a suspension. Also, that's probably the next step is once Major League Baseball hands out a, spe- a suspension. We'll find that out in the months to come if we have a baseball season. All right, guys. At Slump Pusher Podcast on IG, at Slump Pod on Twitter. Go ahead and check out our TikTok, at Slump Pod as well. Leave a five-star review. Go ahead and leave a like on this video. Comment below thoughts on the show, thoughts on any of these situations, whether it be the trade deadline, Trevor Bauer, or Brady to the Niners. <laughs> anyway, guys, stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you on the next one.